Thirty years after peak sales for vinyl records, the medium struck up a resurgence in the early 2010s. As culture shifted towards man buns and moccasins, the novelty of physicalizing music away from the iTunes store and away from Pandora playlists became a growing trend. Vinyl sales for both new and used records were calculated to be approximately $200 million in the U.S. in 2011. Six years later, the estimated total was nearly triple. Vinyl had once again become in vogue thanks to the pick-up-and-play accessibility of the Crosley Cruiser and mall stalwart stoles like Urban Outfitters and Hot Topic ditching CDs for store-exclusive vinyl pressings. In May 2013, Target tagged along to the vinyl resurgence in what was initially thought to be a Father's Day promotional gimmick that would crash and burn. Seven years later, stores in America continue to push the product. In the fray of Target's best-selling records are the brightly colored new releases from pop stars like Taylor Swift and Harry Styles, the Guardians of the Galaxy, soundtrack, and Hall of Fame Everyman records from the Beatles and Queen. Lauren Hill's post-Fuji's output, her only solo studio record, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, unabashedly is included in Target's best-selling vinyl albums list. Graphically, the school desk caricature of Hill stands out from the usually bright-colored pack. Lyrically, Hill's calls for liberation while balancing motherhood, show business beef, and heartbreak are vastly different from the usual big-box offerings. The miseducation of Lauren Hill concocts elements typically too dangerous for white America to fully consume. Yet she found a way to inject her message into public consciousness in the summer of 1998. And for that, the miseducation of Lauren Hill is an art school album. today, someone who I think the world of, someone that I am so excited to finally have on this podcast, someone that came into my life in January and ever since has taken my life by force in a way with her witty comedic ability, with her strong-minded opinions, with her strong presence when she enters a room. My guest today is Bobby Armstrong. Bobby, how are you doing? I'm doing amazing, Case. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, this is the highlight of my quarantine, to say the least. So. Well, that was going to be what I asked you first of all, is, is Bobby, Ooh. we haven't seen each other since the beginning of March, essentially. How are you keeping busy in uh, these times, if you will? Um, good question. I started playing, like, words with friends on a level that, like, I don't even want to go there. Like, it's, I'm too, like, into it. Um, and I'm getting, like, weirdly competitive. Um, and I'm not very good at it, so that's, like, not great. <laughs> uh, I watched Shit's Creek. I don't know if you're familiar with I that. I have seen very the first season. Show. I've watched the first season. It gets loved better. It, it gets no, better. Loved the first season. It was like, okay, I've had my fill. It just never, just never picked up on it again. I need to get back I on was, that. I was very anti Shit's Creek for a long time because it just looked like, it looked weird. It looked too Canadian. That's controversial. I don't know. Some things are a little, some shows are slightly too Canadian for me. Um, but my friend was like, you should watch it. You should watch it. And I did. And I love it. So that's I what I like to hear. Fan. I'm glad it's become most of my personality. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you had to tag yourself as a Shit's Creek character, which one are you? Okay. I, I guess like, I feel like people would maybe typecast me as like Stevie or something like Stevie adjacent. I don't think I'm fully that, but I think out I of think, the main yes. characters, 
of the cast of characters there, you give off a bit of a Stevie vibe. And I think I also, like, sort of give off Twyla vibes, too. The the waitress from that that. awful cafe. (laughs) She's, like, very clueless and then just, like, says weird weird things that don't make sense. Um, Yeah. I could see that. I think there's a fair argument for that. Bobby, I'm so glad I have you here. We're talking about an album that I'm very excited to talk about. But before we get into that, I do think that we need to perhaps uh, DTR a little bit. We need to define our relationship because I'm just curious as someone very loud-mouthed, very obnoxious, very outspoken. You, uh, despite your brilliant mind and your strong presence, a little on the shy side, I think it's fair to say, do you have a first impression of me? Do you remember uh, me just barreling into your life at all? Well, if I'm being totally honest, I don't know if you're, I think you've heard this before. Um, I confused you and Jake for like at least the first two and a half weeks. Former <laughs> guest of the show, Jake Klingensmith. That is common. Uh, our mutual friend, Talia Ginsburg, did think that Jake and I were brothers for most of our freshman year of college. So that makes sense. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, I, but I confused like a lot of people. Like I literally, I think I confused like you, Blaine, Jacob, Jake, like just every, like most of the people. I was like, I don't know who is who. Um, but once I got over that and I figured out everyone's names, I did not confuse you with anyone um, because I feel like I, well, Amy, I know Amy was always talking about how like you guys are the, she was like, she would pull me aside and she'd be like, me and um, me and Case are the same person, like we're the same. That was um, discussed I on the Amy Olive episode where yes. I, I worry about Amy because she has a little too much in common with me. And I know how hard my life has been, which means it just has to be just a rocky road for her. I, th- I think she's doing okay, but um, I I don't think we're the same person, but I feel like we do have similarities. I I admire that you are very passionate about the things you're passionate about and you're very, very knowledgeable about certain very, very niche things. And I would like to think the same of myself in certain areas. Um, And we had a full conversation about like podcasts and like the state of media and digital media (laughs) over lunch. And I think everyone was so bored, Bobby and Uh, but I had a good time. We talked shop at a second city lunch one day. I completely forgot about that because Bobby was someone that came in. We've talked about it on the show of, of my second city comedy semester and yada, 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 whatever. But Bobby was the one person in a group of comedians that are, are desperately trying to seek attention and to gain laughs after Bobby was the one off on the side just being really quiet and just observing and from day one I was like nope that's that's my new favorite person here this person uh has value this person is going to do something this semester did not entirely prepare for the pandemic to derail those plans but you're you're here now which means you accomplish something Another, I'm here now. That's all that matters. <laughs> another thing you've been doing during your quarantine, Bobby, you and your liberally elitist writing friends invited me and our fellow Second City Ensemble members to a Zoom party where you guys read off your failed reductress headlines. Would you like to explain <laughs> how this came about? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so this is a it's a show it's called not for us that i host with um grace baylor who is a second city person she's in the conservatory 
and um, Georgia Shank, who is, she writes for Reductors and some other places. She just moved to Chicago. Um, I like organized, I was like sad. I think it was my birthday and I was like, I wanna, I just kept getting rejected also. I was getting rejected a lot, uh, mostly cause I was writing crap and just like sending it off. Um, and I was like, I want like a place to put rejected stuff. Um, so I just like got a few writers together on Twitter and we started this thing and now it's like become a monthly thing. It's not huge, it's very underground. We don't want it to like be zoomed bom zoom bombed by anyone. Um, it's mostly women. We're trying to make, we're trying to diversify the people, uh, but it's a lot of reductors people. I'm not a reductors writer actually. Um, I've been rejected from them so many times, um, but a lot of people are. So yeah, we just read, like we make stupid PowerPoints and we all drink and read are rejected headlines it's a good time when i jumped on that zoom call it was a humbling experience for me because every once in a while when there were comedy shows i would go to a show feeling good about the work i've done maybe i just wrote you know part of a script and i was like yeah like i'm feeling good and then i'll go see a show and it's so much better than anything I've ever done. And I leave the show going like, man, fuck this. I hate, I hate all this. And that was a little bit of like entering that zoom party and just going like, Oh no, these are what like actual, like, this is what funny people do. Like these are, these are real writers that like have. Like, not at all. I, it was, it was a humbling experience for me on your case. You need headlines. to be confident in your own work. You are, you are hilarious case. Don't never, never question that. Um, I, I was not fishing for compliments, but I do appreciate it. I I also, uh, to to bring it back to the Second City lunches that we would have, where, again, we did talk shop about digital media. I'm so glad you remember that because that was really fun now that I think about it. I also <laughs> remember as I was eating my cheese quesadilla and my trail mix, which I had every single day for oh, lunch. Yeah. We'll never I, forget that. I remember just accosting you at times, but like, Bobby – you have opinions. You have you have hot takes. What kind of music do you listen to? And I feel like I ask you this question probably 15 times, and for whatever reason, the answer has not ever stuck with me. So, Bobby, what kind of music do you listen to? Well, it's interesting you ask that because the one like distinct memory I have of our time at Second City was me handing you my phone that had one of my Spotify playlists and you flipping through it and going, oh no. <laughs> um, I do not like remember this, but it, like, sounds, it sounds accurate. I cannot deny this. A look this. of just like utter disappointment on your face. So it's, it's so my like music taste, I, I have absolutely no musical ability myself, like tone deaf, can't sing, don't like it. Like, you know, um, but my parents are, my dad, uh, played vibraphone for a long time. My grandfather was a jazz pianist and my mom sings and plays piano and plays drums. She does a lot. Um, so like I grew up in like a very musical household. Um, and I, I feel like I'm lucky that my mom like always had a lot of good music playing in the house. So that's like what I was exposed to. And as I've gotten older, that's like what I've come back to. So she played a lot from like the sixties and stuff like that. Um, I grew up listening to like Jackson five, which is kind of weird now knowing everything that we know, but that he's canceled, um, that cancel culture has taken yet another one from us. <laughs> that uh, we just um, can't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so like, 
It's not that I, when I was in like second grade, my favorite song was Love Shack by the B-52s. <laughs> um, I feel like that says, I didn't know what a Love Shack was. I had no idea. Um, and how was that impacting your like a, adult life? Is this something that maybe- Very negatively, very negatively. <laughs> but I like, as I've gotten older, I went through a period of like, just, and I still, part of my music taste is like trashy, just like very mainstream stuff. But then as I've gotten a little bit older, I've come back to like a lot of the stuff that I listened to as a kid. So like um, Aretha Franklin, Sam Cooke, um, Jackson 5, Michael Jackson, older stuff like that. Um, then like even some jazz stuff. Um, yeah, my, my playlists though are very all over the place. Like I'll find a band that's sort of weird and I'll really like one of their songs um and then i'll listen to that over and over and then you know just stop listening to it so it's kind of all over the place but i wasn't planning on mentioning this but then just the fact that you grew up in a musical household but you don't like you like you don't have musical abilities which uh no one in my family has musical abilities but we all really like music i and just because we were also talking about second city i i will say I do not enjoy the act of singing, of dancing. I find it all humiliating, even if I like critiquing it. So do I. And part of that might be, Bobby, were you in attendance at the Songwriters Second City Workshop when I was reprimanded in front of our peers? So I was not, but I heard about this from what, Amy in what, detail. What did you hear? Because I feel like I would, I I would like hear, the oral history of this. I didn't hear specifically what the like um, exercise or yeah. whatever you guys were doing. I don't know. Um, I just heard that you were wrongly accused of a crime that you did not, in fact, commit. Um, and it seemed like, according to Amy the instructor was just like picking on you for no reason. So that's, so I'm on your side here. I'm fully on your side. Bobby, I didn't I go been... to that workshop because I, I didn't want to sing. That's, <laughs> I, I wasn't like sick or something. I didn't go. I flat out didn't go. So. I have been having a really tough time lately with just life and knowing that there are other people that think I was wrongly accused. It just makes oh, my yeah. life so much better. Where Here's the thing. I say I don't like to sing and dance, and that may be true, but I was up on that Second City stage at 11.30 in the afternoon performing essentially an improvised musical, and I was oh my God. crushing it, and I was following the instructions given. The person next to me was not following the instructions given, and I yes, was the one I... that was reprimanded for these things. And then were things maybe a little hostile between me and the person? person leading the workshop the person that could you know one day maybe uh, uh impact my employment in some way yeah absolutely did yeah. i maybe get a little too angry of course but that's who i am <laughs> bobby it's great to know that you are supporting the right side of history in this case yes i'm on the right i'm making sure that i'm on the right side of history <laughs> so we're talking today about the miseducation of lauren hill which by the way an album that i have wanted to talk about on this show because i'm very intrigued by lauren hill she's a very interesting figure as yeah. we'll talk about i'm very yeah. glad that 
I have a woman on this show to talk about this album because the, it just to bring him up again. If Jake Klingensmith was on this episode, he's been on many. If we were sitting here going like, "Yeah, man, this is sick," and it's a person of color and a woman <laughs> that talking about their struggles, it just it would have been a little too on the nose for my brand and everything that is wrong with me. So I'm glad you're here to talk about the miseducation of Lauren Hill. But before we get into her solo work and her 1998 release. Bobby, are you aware of her work with the rap group The Fugees at all? So unfortunately, I'm not. I know that they exist. I never, I just like never bothered to look them up. Um, Like only recently have I gotten a little bit more into like 90s, you know, like stuff from the 90s, hip hop, stuff like that from the 90s. So I'm like still sort of scraping the surface, I feel like. Um, so I know that they exist. I have not, uh, looked them up, but I'm sort of aware of like the context of some of how some of this album stems from her work with them. Um, I, I would recommend listening to Fuji's The Score. I think it is one of the all time great hip hop albums of all time. I put it on, uh, maybe say the level of a Jay-Z's The Blueprint, which I think is the pinnacle of hip hop recording. I don't think the Fuji's The Score is that far off. It is also a hip hop album. Part of the reason I like The Blueprint so much. And I think uh, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill sort of teeters on this line. But what I like about The Score so much is it is an album that can be considered all killer, no filler. There's not a ton of extra on the album all of the songs are really strong and it's produced and tightly packaged into a digestible length and the miseducation of lauren hill while it is you know the 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 i guess deluxe edition or i guess the more familiar edition that people are are familiar with now is 16 songs and clocks in on an hour and 17 minutes long typically if i saw an album like that i would say no way jose that is too long i do not want to sit through that but luckily it is lauren hill and this album has a lot to offer. Do you remember the first time that you heard a song or maybe the entire album of The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill? I do. So I was reading a book. Oh, I can see it from where I'm sitting. It's called On the Come Up. It's um, like a YA book about this girl who is like trying to be a rapper. It's not a, it's an okay book. If you've ever heard of The Hate You Give, which was a movie, it's it's in the same universe as that same author um not not a bad book but in the book the girl the main character is asked who her like favorite who her inspiration is and she rattles off a bunch of names and i was like huh lauren hill that sounds interesting (laughs) this is literally i had never this was probably like a little over a year ago um and I just randomly like went to Spotify and like, and I was like, I'm probably not going to like this. Like, this isn't really my thing. Um, and I think the first song I listened to was Doop because that's like, that's the most, probably the most recognizable from the album. Um, and I was like, whoa, this is good. Um, and ever since then, I've been a big fan of it. And I've like tried to like, you know, read more about her life, which I find very fascinating. Um, and just sort of her journey as an artist, I think it's interesting. Bobby, have you read the book Eleanor and Park? I have not, but I do know of it. I have it. Wait, where is it? I can see it somewhere. I've read books by that author. I didn't finish Eleanor and Park. I didn't like it. Okay, here's the thing. It's not that I don't like Eleanor and Park. Eleanor and Park, I read at a super 
emotional time in my life, and it made me too sad. And this is at a point in my life where I was reading fiction books solely to impress a girl that I ended up not dating, because I am pretty much at this point nonfiction and really kind of only oral histories at this point. What I can handle is very, very thin. But I read Eleanor and Park, and I bring that up because uh, the main character of that book is really into the band Echo and the Bunnymen, which is a, a great 80s new wave band. But that was another one where I was okay. saying, I was like, I don't know. I don't know this band. Let me look them up. And and yeah. I do think they that, that band in particular has been sort of overrated as time has gone on and like this great frontier of the new wave scene where really they weren't super popular up until they were featured on the Donnie Darko soundtrack. soundtrack. But that, Bobby, is a podcast for another time. That is not- <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I get a lot of like the songs I listen to and we're uh like individual songs but like artists i listen to from like tv and books like i'll hear something and then i'll just like start googling and try and find it um and then i tend to like very heavily associate certain songs with like certain memories or certain times in my life um and so if they're good times in my life i'll go back to those songs a lot or if it's like from a show an episode i really liked or a moment i tend to like associate certain songs with that so, yeah. I think those are very healthy listening habits, Bobby. I, I would encourage you to continue to do that. Uh, <laughs> the Miseducation of Lauren Hill is, to this day, the only full-length studio album that Lauren Hill has has put out. The, the aforementioned The Score came out in 1996. The Miseducation of Lauren Hill comes out a mere two years later, August 25th, 1998. And uh, there's just... A lot of mythos and an aura around Lauren Hill where she is still someone that falls under that true celebrity image where we don't know a lot about her, where she's not checking in on Instagram live. Uh, and, And it's just whenever Lauren Hill makes a public sighting, it almost feels like news, which can't really be said for everyone. And I think now maybe people our age, because I, I don't think, well, Bobby, when were you born? What year were you born? Let's find out for sure. I was born ninety-eight. Uh, so were you alive when this album came out? Uh I was I it came out in August, so I was two months old. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. So I was I you are almost a full year older than me. I was not born when this album came out, so I think my image of Lauren Hill is maybe a little bit nostalgic, and I think just because of her style of music and the way popular music and even R and B and hip hop have been Ele- uh, electronalized that's not the word I'm looking for but anyways because the sounds have changed so much I think it's easy for someone our age to look at Lauren Hill as this relic of the past and someone that was maybe a little bit more alternative than she actually was because if you read uh, say a, a 2003 piece on Rolling Stone entitled The Mystery of Lauren Hill uh, it says someone who worked with Hill uh, says with regret she would have been bigger than J-Lo but instead she disappeared this is someone that was offered roles in the Mission Impossible movies this is someone that was on the come up to becoming a true mainstream 
A-list celebrity. I think the rapper Nas puts it best, someone who later on became really good friends with Lauryn Hill. I believe they are still friends to this day. Uh, Nas says that mothers, daughters, college students, and little kids were listening to Lauryn Hill. But then also Nas, who is a a traditional New York uh, rapper, if you will, said that his audience of listeners, blunt heads, fine ladies, and prisoners were also into Lauryn Hill. So, Bobby, I ask you if you had to tag yourself as a listener, blunt head, fine lady, or a prisoner, which one are you? Um, I'll say prisoner because I've been stuck in a town of 1,200 people for the last four months, but prisoner in a very different sense of the word. <laughs> I'm not trying to equate my experience with that of someone in the uh, actual U.S. prison system. Oh, no, I'm not trying to make that comparison at all. Wait, uh, you dance out of danger there, Bobby. Well said. You would be a treat at any PR firm across the country. Well, I'm not a mother or something like that, so <laughs> I had to pick something. Yes, no, I, I, I think that is entirely fair. So, again, this is an album that the Fugees were a, a mainstream success with the score, and Lauren Hill, who left the Fugees after having creative differences with Wyclef Jean, ended up putting all of her time and energy into this album, which again, other than her MTV Unplugged, which is looked at as a personal and professional disaster, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill is really her only true work. There's a lot of different sounds and ideas on this album. I think there's two genres that are really heavily featured, that of, I guess, more akin to the Fuji sound, the rap-heavy stuff of Lost Ones, Doo-Wop, and songs like Final Hour, and then there's the more soulful side of maybe X-Factor to Zion, and I used to love him. Bobby, is there a sound on this album that you gravitate more towards, either that hip-hop sound or that soulful sound? Um, I think definitely the hip-hop, um, but, you know, I... Um, trying to think. Uh, I like both because I really like um, Lost Ones is one of my favorites on the on the album, and also Duop. Duop's probably my favorite. Duop's um, great. That then, was that was one of the three singles on this album. It's Duop, X Factor, and Everything Is Everything. But please continue with what you yeah. were saying. Um, the Miseducation of Lauren Hill. That's one of the last songs on the track. Is like. It, it makes that song like makes me cry every time I listen to it. And it's very like, so, it's a lot more so soulful. I can't say that word. Um, and I, I guess I associate that song with like very, I don't know. It's like a very deep song. Um, and yeah, it like makes me very emotional, <laughs> but I love it. It's like one of my favorite songs. Well, let's rifle through this album track by track, because I think if they're, you know, I'm typically against maybe albums of this length, both in terms of the amount of songs and also in terms of how long it is. But uh, I will state now that I give Lauren Hill a pass because I think this is just a brilliant collection. I'm sure she appreciates my approval more than anything, but the album does start off with Lost Ones. It's funny how money changes situations. Miscommunication leads to complications. My emancipation don't fit your equation. I was on the humble you on every station. Someone play young Lauren like she done. But remember not to game the one of the sun. Everything you did has already been done. I know all the tricks from bricks to kingstown. My ting done major king down one wrong. Now understand El Boogie, not violent. But different things test me, run for me, can't take a 
Bobby, I will let you know, is ranked number nine on Watch Mojo's top ten rap diss tracks of all time. Oh. Do you have an oh. idea as to what number one might be? I, you can't. I okay. My knowledge of music is just very like I love this song. It's fun. Like I'm not a technical. I have no idea what I'm talking about. So. You putting me in a situation, I have no idea. I really don't. That's, that's Oh, wait, okay. is it something? Is it like Kanye West or something? I feel like it's, no. It's, it's not Kanye. We will be talking about Kanye later on in this show, let me assure you. But no, the okay. according to Watch Mojo, the source of all things hip-hop, naturally, mm. um, <laughs> their yeah. number one diss track of all time is Hit em Up by Tupac and the Outlaws. Uh, I was going to say Tupac, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. That, so now you just have that information to do something with. But I do think Lost Ones kicks the album off on a really, really strong note. It is not that great of a departure from what we would hear from the Fugees. This could have been on the score and it would have fit right in, but instead it is a diss track against her fellow Fugees partners. And you, I, I take it you are a big fan of this song. I like this song. Um, like, honestly, when I first, I was like, I think I was listening to this while I was like working out and I was like, oh, like Lost Ones is like a good, see, that's what I'm saying is like my, my um the reason i like a song is like oh i can run while i listen to it <laughs> it's not like oh because this references you know her relationship with blah 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 um but i like the style of the song a lot and I, one of the things i really like about this album is that she's like able to showcase so many different sort of um tones and styles very well i, I i'm not trying to throw shade and I'm not really sure who I'm referencing when I say this but I feel like there's some artists who try and do that and just don't do it very well um and I don't think she's one of them so that's something I've never really seen I feel like there's a lot of albums now where it's just like every song sounds the same and that's not this at all um so I like that a lot I think it's fair to say this album is often imitated never duplicated because I think there have been a lot of attempts from a a wide range of spectrum of artists that have tried to do some hip-hop and some soul and slow things down and then pick things back up. And I don't think any album has ever hit as highly as The Miseducation does. Now, you mentioned that you can run to Lost Ones. Can you run to X Factor, which is what follows? I think so. I think I have before. I've, I've just gone in runs where I just put the album on. I'll say something controversial. This, this is going to sound nuts. One of my favorite parts of the album is the intro. It's like 45 seconds, and it comes even before Lost Ones. I listened to it. I've listened to just that before, like, on a loop. I don't know why. <laughs> the intro is just, like, sirens, isn't it? I mean, is there a lot of substance no. in the intro? No. So it's – I maybe it's, like, not on the – it's, like – let me see how long it is. Yeah, it's, like, a school bell. It's 47 seconds or, I don't know, 50 seconds. Something like that, yeah. And she's, she, she, I think it's like high school or something. And a teacher is like doing roll, ca roll call and he goes through all these names and then he says Lauren Hill and there's no answer. And he just kind of says that. And then it fades into the background and there's some vocals. For some reason, like, I guess I'm like very attracted to like story, I think like, and I feel like it sets the album up in such a good way. It's also just like pleasing to the ear. I don't know. Something about it just like 
him. Uh, that <laughs> but the repetitiveness just... of roll call, like this is very comforting <laughs> to you. I was late for school a lot when I was a kid, so I left a lot of teachers hanging. Well, um, that is something so maybe that maybe I relate to that. Maybe you have that in common with Lauren Hill because, you know, she, she went so long without performing in America, and now that she does, it seems to always be a question of not if Lauren Hill will show up, but when she will show up. And there have been numerous yeah. instances of her showing up maybe two hours late to a show and that she only has about 30 minutes yeah. to play before the mandatory curfew. It seems yeah. like it's a whole issue that transpired. I, I think she is still dealing with a lot of pain from the success of this album, whereas a lot of uh, this album is created by the pain she was feeling beforehand. And I think that is ever so present in X Factor, which was one of the singles off this album. It's directed once again at Wyclef Jean. And this is where we see a total departure in sound. This is way, way different than anything that would have been on a Fuji's record, in my opinion. And I am someone who tends to criticize slower songs. Uh, that has been brought to my attention on this podcast as, you know, my favorite songs on the album tend to be the quickest. So despite my love for the Fuji's, I was unfamiliar with probably half of this record going into this podcast, which was part of the reason it was so exciting for me, was I, I could now sit down and listen to this album in full and have a reason to do it. And X Factor was one that continuously blew me away. I think this song yeah. is terrific. Yeah, me too. Um, I feel like it sort of went under the radar for me. Like the songs that I sort of discovered first were like not that one, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then I listened to it again today and I was like, oh, this is like a great song. Um, so I threw it on some t onto some of my playlists and I'm definitely going to be listening to it more. Uh, yeah. Do you create your playlist by maybe an emotion you're feeling, maybe a mood you're trying to capture? Do your playlist have melodramatic names? Would you divulge any of that information on this podcast? Oh, the names of my playlists are very boring. Um, I have one right now. So I tend to like, I'll make a playlist. And then when I, when I play through it so much that I just get sick of it, I'll just make a new one. But some of the songs from the old playlist will be on my new playlist. It's recycling. It's, it's just, reduce, reuse, recycle. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I have my playlist that I'm listening to right now is literally just called 2020, um, which is boring. Um, <laughs> How's that I have you? a playlist. Eh, not great yeah. it's a good playlist but i have a playlist called sangria it was for my 21st birthday party where we made sangria i made a playlist for that um i have a playlist called crap uh it's mostly Haley kyoko songs which i feel like that tracks with the <laughs> with the name of the, um yeah so but actually this this album is something that i I have some of the songs on playlists, but I tend to just like, I'll just put the album on and just like go through it. Um, it's that good. When I'm in a certain mood or, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's that good. It's, the, it's that good that. <laughs> and I also feel like I, I get something from listening to the songs in, in order. Um, there's, there's a story there. There's, you know, there's a through line through all of them. But yeah. I think the album is sequenced incredibly well. That's another common complaint I have, but I think Lauren Hill nails it here. I think if you are maybe in the mood to cry, maybe uh, To Zion, which is what follows, a song that Lauren Hill broke down and cried to the first time she heard the beat for the song uh, because she knew at that moment, she recorded most of this album while she was pregnant, and she knew this uh, 
This song had to be about her first son, Carlos Santana, who had a really weird late 90s resurgence. He is a, a guest guitarist on so many different hits. It's very confusing. But To Zion is certainly an emotional peak on this album in terms of raw emotion being shared and spread through this album. Bobby, what are your thoughts on this track? So, okay, this is not one of my favorites. And I, I, I'm i conflicted over that because I think it's a good song. And I, one of the things I like about it is that it's like a very raw, like you said, it's a very raw display of emotion. Um, and I think that's something that Lauren Hill does really well. And she does very authentically. Um, that being said, I just don't love the song. Um, it's, it's very slow and... Some of her other songs are slow, but this one is like pretty slow. Um, and I guess, okay, this is, so one of the things on this track, there's a lot of like, or on the album, is there's a lot of like religious references. Um, and that's not really my thing. Um, I, but I think it, it adds something very authentic to, to this album. Um, but for some reason, this song, I just can't really, I respect it. I I don't listen to it on a regular basis. I'll say that. Bobby, what you just did was you had an objective conversation about music, which so many people seem to struggle to do because thanks to people like Bill Simmons, we can now have conversations about movies objectively. And you can say, well, maybe I didn't like this movie, but I understand that it was good. And too often it, when people are discussing music, it's if you don't like something, well, it's, it's not my style and you can't compare these two bands. No, you can compare whatever you want. People just don't seem to be able to do it when it comes to music. Bobby, you just yeah. did. And I have to say, I agree with you. And I have a feeling that we agree on the next track, the hit of all hits from The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, Doo-Wop, track, I believe it is five. Oh my God, what a song this is. Three weeks since you were looking for your friend. The one you let hit it and never called you again. Remember when he told you he was about to bend your man? You act like you ain't him, they give him a little trim to begin. Now you think you really gonna pretend. Like you wasn't down and you called him again. Plus when you give it up so easy, you ain't even fooling him. You did it then, and you probably yeah. talking out your next and you're a Christian. A Muslim sleeping with the gin. Now that was the sin that did Jezebel in. Who you gonna tell when the repercussions spin? Showing off. I love this song. I listen to this probably once a day, not even kidding. Um I like I don't think there's like um I'm looking up the lyrics right now, so I have them in front of me because I think the lyrics of this song are great. Um, I think just like everything she does, there's a lot going on in it. Like the, if you look at the lyrics, like she references a lot of things and she, her lyrics are very, very specific. Um, and that's something I really like about her. I think she's a great rapper. I think she's really good. Um, and there's a lot of rappers that I'm like, ugh, like, I don't know. Um, Is there anyone in particular that you're just like, ugh, not for me? And name names. You can do it. Kanye. <laughs> I don't like Kanye West. I don't like him. I've tried. I've tried. I, I know, like, some of his older stuff is considered, like, very good. Um... That rule, that is that is awesome. Uh, that is I, I just, just tremendous. <laughs> well, I also think there's been like a lot of. I, this is one of the things that I I really wish Lauren Hill was like still more of a 
a force today with like our generation because I think for our generation you really have you either know who she is and you really know who she is or you've never heard of her which I think is really sad um because I think in terms of like female rappers I wish there was more representation and there's there's just not um there is now and there's some really some really great ones but I really think Lauren Hill is like probably the best and she's just you know her name is not brought up as much as it was you know in the 90s I completely agree uh th- this song again the aforementioned doo-wop it was number one on the billboard charts Lauren Hill won two Grammys, uh, both for Best R&B Song and for Best Female R&B Vocal Performance. And in the song, Hill warns both men and women to avoid being exploited by the opposite sex for, air quotes, that thing. A powerful message and one that just seems very different from the typical hip-hop discourse, which I think is fair to say. Yes, I do agree with that. Um, I thought that was like, because when I first heard the song, I was, I was like, oh, she's like telling, she's warning, I don't remember what comes first. I think she's warning like uh, women to watch out for, you know, certain men. And then she flips it and, and says the same thing to men. Um, and that is very different from what you hear on a lot of hip hop. And I, I think it's just like, I, for some reason, I really like that, that whole, that really resonated with me. Just like, you know, not letting yourself like, sort of be taken advantage of or or exploited or just, you know, like not falling for, for BS, uh, which I think is sort of, sort of what she's saying. Maybe that's, that's sort of my interpretation of it. Um, Yeah. I think that's an entirely fair interpretation of it. I I agree with you. I think it's the high point on the album. It is, it is one of those where it is the hit for the reason. I think this is a song uh, in, in a music video as well. The music video where, She's taking, uh, again, this doo-wop influence of her as a girl group singer in the 60s and then in the same frame is giving present-day New York and the entire video is kind of split in two of those different things. So it's a it's a feat sonically and it's a feat visually as well. And yeah. then from there, I think the album slows down a little bit. There are two songs here that I want to talk about. There's the song that follows in Superstar and then a song a few tracks later that I think we can cover now in Forgive Them, Father, which Lauren Hill is talking about two things in these songs. She's talking about uh, just how maybe exploitative the music industry is, and then in Forgive Them, Father, she's in a way repenting for everything she's done, and, and like Bobby mentioned, there are a ton of religious overtones in this album, and... I say this not in jest, even though Bobby did just eviscerate the man that I'm about to talk about. She just 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 ripped him a new one. It was a beautiful thing to see. But there are, in a very serious way, there are a lot of similarities between Lauren Hill and Kanye West in the sense that they both have arguably, and I don't even think arguably, I think they have been treated unfair, unfairly by the music industry. And for both of them, they just dove headfirst into religion as a result of it, and that has proven to be a very dangerous thing. Uh, Lauren Hill was asked in a, in a 2010 NPR interview why she stopped putting out music, and she said there were a number of different reasons, but partly the support system that I needed was not necessarily in place. There were things about myself, personal growth things, that I had gone through in order to feel like it was worth it. In fact, as musicians and artists, it's important that we have an environment, I guess when I say environment, I really mean the music industry, that nurtures these gifts 
Oftentimes, the machine can overlook the need to take care of the people who produce the sounds that have a lot to do with the health and well-being of society, or at least some aspect of that society. And I think that is a very fair thing to say, that in many ways, music is a representation of the greater good, of the, of the active society. Do you think that is a fair thing to equate Lauren Hill saying the sounds of music can represent society? Yeah, I totally do. And I also acknowledge that like one of the things that Lauren Hill um, and because of her, you know, other like Kanye um, are able to do today to more success, unfortunately, than sort of she found after this album um, is like talk about religion in hip hop. And that was something that until this album really wasn't done or was sort of not taken seriously. Um, and I actually think like, yeah, there's a lot of religious, you know, undertones in this and in in direct references. Um, but a lot of it is just like, this is a very like, I mean, if you want to get into like spirituality, it's a very like spiritual album. Um, and I totally see merit in that, that. I may not like be super religious or anything. So I'm not like looking line by line being like, ah, oh, yes. But um, like the overall messages in a lot of what she's saying rings true no matter what you believe i think um, so i see i see value in that and and that's one of the things that i actually like about this album a lot i i completely agree again i will i will reiterate this idea that the sound of this record and the way she's able to incorporate not only just different bass genres but the instrumentation she's able to bring into this album is such a feat and it is so impressive and it is one of the reasons that 23 22 years after the fact that this record was released it is still worth talking about and i think that sound that influence that lauren hill has is heard on final hour which is what follows superstars another one of those rap heavy tracks sort of in the vein of lost ones but here Lauren Hill is rapping over an acoustic guitar, which is something that I've heard done before by artists. It's a sound I always welcome. It's a sound that I think sounds great, to be perfectly honest. And I think Lauren Hill excels in this track. What did you think about Final Hour? Um, I like this one a lot. Um, I like the lyrics in this. Um, sort of, I, I liked the whole, I mean, she's a lot of, a lot of this album is like very meta in a sense. And she's really, she talks a lot about her life, but she also really like addresses like the music industry head on and sort of the state of hip hop and, and sort of like how a lot of artists go about, you know, their work. Um, and it should and I be noted wonder... real quick, just before you continue on that point, there are two things to note that one, her record label was desperately pushing for a new Fuji's album because the score was such a massive hit and Lauren Hill was rightfully so hell-bent on not doing that. And also, this is coming out in 1998 where the hip-hop world had lost Tupac in 96 and Notorious B.I.G. in 1997 and was reeling and really needed a new sound. And while P. Diddy was able to usher in kind of an entirely different thing of glitz and glamour and hip-hop is out of the ghetto and now we are millionaires or we're going to celebrate it that offered a very commercial and very appealing sound i mean a lot of those records i really enjoy but lauren hill was offering something fully authentic and not to sound like a lame white guy but lauren hill was kind of keeping it in the streets and i think that was a needed sound and so 
She's attacking the music industry and throwing shots at her former bandmates, but it was done in a way that just, I think, hip-hop needed at the time. And, and part of what Lauren talked about with her you know, kind of public breakdown and then retreating from the spotlight was that she felt like she had accidentally become this voice of a generation and that she was now responsible for carrying hip-hop on her back and like anybody else, she couldn't handle that pressure, and and we saw what yeah. happened. So I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did want to get that point in real quick. <laughs> well, I I mean to add to that, like I feel like it's really a shame. Uh, it's it's a weird double edged sword type thing, not sword, but um, where like she sort of retreated from the spotlight because she felt all this pressure, and at the same time, I would have loved if she had still been releasing music to this day. I really would have loved to have seen what she would have had to say about, you know, the state of things today. I think that would have been really interesting um, and sort of like her reaction to, to a lot of things. It's sad that we don't really get to see that, but I actually kind of think that um, one of the reasons I love this album is because I feel like a lot of it is still very relevant. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. Um, it's, a lot of it is very timeless in a sense. Um, and so in a way, even though she hasn't put out a lot of music, I think her message, her message is still uh, pretty true. You might disagree with me here, but I hope there's never another Lauren Hill full length album because I think she yeah. will be able to, it, it's almost in a sense like she died young because now we don't know what that second album would have sounded like. We got a little bit of a, uh, a taste of it with the unplugged album, which was just universally panned and critiqued, and it was you know a, a low point and an embarrassment for Lauren Hill. With with Miseducation, it's like this is this is it. This is the sound that we know, and and I just fear that a, a follow up now. Even though man, she has a lot of material to grab from given the universe, but I just fear that maybe it wouldn't live up to the expectations. Whereas you mentioned, unfortunately even though this album was released in 1998, pretty much everything she's talking about on the record is still relevant today. I mean, I agree with what you're saying. I think it's for better or for worse that she's not, that she hasn't released, hasn't really released anything since this. Um, because, you know, a lot of times you do get like an amazing album and then the next one is just not, not good. Or, you know, maybe her, her legacy would be changed a lot if she had still released music or maybe, you know, we just don't know. So in a way it kind of, um, I think there's something like sort of mysterious in a way about Lauren Hill, like what you were saying is she just, she just doesn't, she's not a very public figure and she, you know, values her privacy. Um, and in a way that adds to sort of her credibility in what she's saying, because I almost see her as like having an outside perspective, even though at the time she was not an outsider in the industry at all. But in terms of listening to this now, um, you know, she's not someone who's still super active in the industry. So she has an interest. It's an, it's interesting to listen to the music now and sort of use that as a lens for the current. Yeah. We get hit with a, a two-piece uh, soulful action here with when it hurts so bad and I used to love him. How do we feel about these? I, I, I'm a big fan of both. Uh, the aforementioned I used to love him has Mary J. Blige on the track, which is always a positive for me. It also samples the song Ice Cream by Raekwon of the Wu-Tang Clan, which is just a, a marvelous addition to this album. What do we think about these two songs, Bobby? 
Um, I really like, uh, I used to love him. I really like Mary J. Blige. Um, and so, um, I, I just, I like the song. I think it's, again, like it's, it's, I, I remember, I think I read this on Wikipedia, so I don't know if it's true or not, but she talked about like, or she said in some interview that she wrote most of the song, uh, most of these songs when she was pregnant. And she was like, I don't know if it was because I was just like very emotional or, you know, I was, she was like, I felt like I was very in touch with my emotions. Um, and I really like got that from, I used to love him and when it hurt so bad, it just seemed like she's, she's sort of in touch and aware of herself in a way that, um, even though she's talking about things that like are sad in sort of the topic of the song, the lyrics are maybe not the most upbeat. Um, how like self-aware she is and sort of um, in touch with her emotions is admirable in a way and almost something that I, I wish I experienced more often. And that's sort of what I get from both of those songs is like, oh, like she really knows, like she, she knows how she feels about things and she knows where she stands on things. Um, and she's honest in both those songs. Now I don't, I used to yeah. Yeah. Tremendous. You're, you're right on the money that she is very in touch with her emotions. And maybe it was the pregnancy. I don't know. All I know is that the end product <laughs> was worthy of being shared with the people. Uh, we moved to every ghetto, every city, which we kind of hit a, a, a group of songs here that I'm not that crazy about. And I can maybe explain for each one of them. Every ghetto, every city. It's a fine song, but it's about Lauren Hill growing up in South Orange, New Jersey. And I just find something about Laura Hill being from New Jersey to be a little bit funny. Like, I understand I it's know. a state. She's not exactly growing up on the Jersey Shore. But it just, I couldn't get that out of my mind listening to it. Like, Laura Hill grew up in Jersey. Like, what the hell is that? So, Bobby, not only do I want to know your thoughts on the song, I want to know your thoughts on the state. How do we feel about New Jersey as a whole? Oh, well, okay. So, like, actually, I, I knew she grew up in South Orange even before listening to the song. And um, I've, I've been to the South Orange area. I don't think I've ever been there. Um, so I'm not super familiar. So I can't really speak on that. Different parts of New Jersey are, you can, you can have a, it's weird. It's a small state, but you can have vastly different experiences, you know, 10 miles down the road from, from where you are. Um, so I can't speak on her experience at all. Um, I don't really know. Um, I like this song. Um, and I'm not so, I, actually, I kind of had a question for you. So she's, she grew up in Jersey and the song is, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I don't want to hijack your podcast, no, but please. you're, you're the music authority here. So when she says for the song, um, one line is uh, every ghetto, every city and suburban place I've been make me recall my days in the New Jerusalem. I don't, I'm not totally, I was like listening to that earlier and I was like, I'm not totally sure what exactly she's, to me that I kind of 
um, took that to mean that like every place she's been sort of reminds her there, there's a similarity to to every sort of place in uh, in that a core part of the human experience is the same no matter where you go. Um, and that's that's what I took from it, but I'm curious what you thought of that. I think that is a, a great way of dissecting a line that quite honestly never really jumped out at me when I was listening to the album, but I certainly can't disagree with what you just said. I think that is a very... Uh, fine and intellectual point as Bobby you continue to be nothing short of an academic elite and I enjoy that about you you are constantly uh, pushing my opinions on new things and I think that is great however one thing that I, I will continue to be stuck in the mud on something that I don't think you can change my mind on is mm-hmm. nothing even matters which features D'Angelo a musician that I will just never enjoy. Someone not for me. Do you enjoy this? If you enjoy it, how? Please let me know how you feel about this. So nothing even matters and everything is everything. I don't really like either of those. Um, I'm not sure why. I kind of think something about everything is everything. I think the message of that song gets a little bit muddled. I don't really understand what she means. I, I I'm like, I'm like, okay, everything is everything. Interesting. I, I, I was like trying to think about the song earlier. I'm like, hmm, like, what is she, what is she trying to say? And I don't get it. Um, it's like a nice song to listen to, but when I, I like to get something from the lyrics, I guess because I'm a writer, I'm very, the thing I focus the most on in songs is usually the lyrics. Which is normal, by the way. That is what people should do when they listen to music. Yes. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't think people always do. Um, but um, that is, and especially because I think she's a great, you know, songwriter and she was in, heavily involved in writing most of these songs, if not, you know, wrote them almost by herself. Um, but yeah, nothing even matters and everything is everything. I was like, eh. Yes. I don't know. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, with with Nothing yeah. Even Matters, which has D'Angelo on it, not for me, never is going to be for me. Don't enjoy that at all and then everything is everything it almost reminded me of the smith song some girls are bigger than others which is kind of notorious for being a song where johnny moore the guitarist for the smith and i hate to bring them up but it is my main frame of reference johnny moore wrote this incredible incredible guitar riff unmatched almost unplayable by anybody else and then Morrissey wrote a song called Some Girls Are Bigger Than Others which I think is a fine song but it maybe doesn't necessarily live up to the instrumentation that was displayed and I think that is the issue with Everything Is Everything where it has these big sweeping strings and it's nice and it's pretty and then I think Lauren maybe under delivers on the vocals a little bit which is one of the rare times on this album that I think that is the case now Bobby You mentioned that the title track, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, the song, not the album, one of your favorite songs on the album. My world, it moves so fast today. The past, it seems so far away. And life squeezes so tight that I can't breathe. And every time I've tried to be what someone else thought of me, so caught up I was unable to achieve I gotta say it's not one that really jumped off the page for me so sell me on this song what is the deal with this one so funny enough 
the I I heard the song back when I first started listening to the album, but I really started listening to the song. This is so um, stupid, but. <laughs> when our program got canceled in Chicago, like right as the pandemic started to hit. So this was not, this was, you know, four or five months ago. Um, I had this song on repeat for days. Um, and I was, I was very upset and I was just like, you know, I, I kind of felt like I was at a point where I was just like, you know, I mean, you guys like live in Chicago, you go to school there. Um, uh, sorry, I just got a message that my computer is about to shut down. Hang on, let me close oh, some tabs. <laughs> as Bobby, do you have a charger nearby? Do you need to go get a it, charger? It's plugged in, my computer. I had so many tabs open to look at, like, lyrics of these songs <laughs> that I guess my computer started overheating. It said no more. <laughs> well, yeah, that... Or maybe my... Go ahead. Um, But back to... That's a, a dumb tangent. Back to what I was saying is that, like, you guys, like the Columbia kids like live in Chicago. That's where you go to school, whatever. And I sort of uprooted, I guess this is true of the transfers. I feel like Amy would say the same thing. I kind of uprooted everything to go to Chicago for this one semester. And this was like supposed to be like, you know, it, like this was going to be my best semester. I was, I was going to go abroad and I decided not to do that. And I did this all like on a whim and I was just super happy to be there. And I, and like, for a long time, like, just going into Second City every day and, like, looking around, it was very sort of a, I feel like everyone had this of, like, being a little starstruck and, like, whoa. Um, and so for some reason, I was just, like, sad because I was feeling, like, and it, this is stupid because looking back, I really thought that, I think everyone thought this, that, like, you know, we were going to be gone for a couple weeks and then we'd be back. And I think foolishly I bought into this, too. Um, obviously, the pandemic has affected all of us and it's affected a lot of people way more and in way more horrible ways than it has affected me. I, I want to preface everything I say with that, but I felt like a very like sort of weird sense of loss in that I, I wasn't getting to finish something that I had really been looking forward to. And I think everyone, everyone felt that. Um, and so something about this song, um, like the especially the first I this song also it just like makes me it makes me cry every time I listen to it. Um like the opening verse of it, my world it moves so fast today, the past it seems so far away. I like especially the past like six months, I've had this feeling of like everything is just like everything is changing so fast and I didn't feel like I was in control of anything. And so like those lyrics, um like sort of hit me in a way that a lot of song lyrics don't. Um, and then in the second verse, she says, I look at my environment and wonder where the fire went. Um, and like, I mean, it sounds so dumb when you compare it with just like me walking down the street in Chicago, like looking at annoyance, the just annoyance like being theater like, being like oh, closed I miss up. Norm like, oh, improv God. classes. Like, oh no, what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna I can't but it it was more than that it was like I was I was in a city by myself and I felt like for the first time I was really sort of on my own and I had been able I had done better than I thought I was I was very afraid that I wasn't gonna make any friends and I I was really not gonna it, like I wanted the program to work work for me so badly and I was worried 
very worried from the start that it wasn't going to. And I was kind of finally feeling like, oh, like I can, I can figure this out. And I was starting to gain more confidence. Um, and then it felt like everything was just like being taken away very fast. And then when I got home, I kept listening to the song because um, my grandparents got very sick and that's still something that's, you know, ongoing. It just like everything seemed felt like it was closing in. Um, and not as much now. This is more of a, a March, April feeling. Um, but every time I kind of feel like things are just getting too much, I listen to the song and I'm just like, okay, like Lauren Hill agrees with me. Like I'll be okay. <laughs> but she talks about later in the song, um, the chorus and deep in my heart, the answer it was in me. Um, and that's like maybe a little bit, some of the lyrics in here are like slightly cheesy. They border on cheesy, I think. Um, but I feel like the way she presents them is very authentic. Um, and like sort of the idea of being in control of the things you can control. And I think that's like a really good reminder, especially now. And for some reason, this song, like it came to me at the right time. And I really felt like I was like, oh, this is like what I needed to hear. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. That was a very well-told journey. And I, I encourage you to not invalidate your struggles because while, yes, there are maybe other people that have felt more pain due to the pandemic, you also went through something that's crazy to think about our our you know, our second city experience, which I've talked about on the show before, this thing that was this collective build and was really gaining momentum and building towards something within an email was no more. And it was, it was shocking yeah. and it was jarring. And I was someone that, you know, all I did was I took the train 20 minutes to second city. You moved across the country to go there. So yeah. I, I, I can't imagine what that would have been like for you. I will now take yeah. your frame of reference as I listen to the song I, I, I will take that because I was someone in March and April where I was like, this sucks. Uh, it's going to be horrible for the creative economy, but we will all rally together and do whatever we need to do as a country to defeat this thing. And if it makes, if it means making personal sacrifices, we got it. This is the one thing. This is bipartisan. We are going to defeat it. And it hasn't happened and i don't know if you've been following the news but things have gotten much worse with everything so yeah while i was like i was kind of i think like march and april like hey you know what we can do it like it's gonna be okay like this is weird you know schools on zoom now but like hey, it's gonna be okay as we sit here in the middle of july I'm now going, okay, not going well. I'm very scared. I'm very unhappy. I don't like most things that are happening. So I will once again, like Bobby Armstrong, I will turn to Lauren Hill for comfort from now on. <laughs> I just keep turning to Lauren Hill. No matter what happens, Lauren Hill is my therapist is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and you don't yeah. need insurance for that. And that is a beautiful no, thing. There is no copay for <laughs> As long as you have Spotify. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, 
uh, under, you know, uh, uh, the original cut of the album, that would be the last song, but on the Spotify version, we have hidden tracks, and we have two of them. We have Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, which is a cover of the Frankie Valley song, which I adore, and I think this song should have been included on the album proper. And then you have Tell Him, which although I do see the merits of organized religion, and it is not something on the surface level that I don't agree with, Tell Him. Even a little too biblical for me. Had to take a step back on this one. What do we think about the two bonus tracks on this record? Okay, so, oh, wait, there is. So for some reason, I thought one of these wasn't on here. Yeah, um, okay, I'm going to be honest. Most of the time, I listen to Miseducation Florin Hill, and then I'll listen to that, like, four more times, and then I stop. <laughs> I, I don't tend to, because it it is a very long um journey i'm gonna just end up talking about miseducation of lauren hill again but it is a very it's an hour and 17 minutes um and and for some reason like that song it's it's also like the title track and i feel like it sums up like the journey that the the album takes you on like so well and when i listen to can't take my eyes off of you and tell him it kind of ruins it for me a little bit i'm like uh i don't know um I, I like to just end it with so I I like those songs they're not my favorite they're okay I think that's entirely fair. I You have such a strong connection with the title track on the album. I, I would hate to ruin your experience by maybe pushing these songs on you. But, Bobby, now that we've talked about the hidden tracks and the bonus tracks, we are now at the end of the album. And I should let you know that Pitchfork originally gave this album an 8 out of 10. They now, on their website, have a review of a 9.5 out of 10. Uh, received an A from Entertainment Weekly upon release. Rolling Stone gave it a 4 out of 5 and then named it the 5th greatest album of the 90s in 2011 and the 314th greatest album of all time in 2012. So, Bobby, we've had such a a delightful and objective conversation on music, something that was just uh, much needed in my life. So I now need an objective rating from you out of 10. What are we giving the miseducation of Lauryn Hill? Are we allowed to do, like... 10 like you know decimal points here Please how many how many whatever, decimal points can we give? whatever decimal point you want bobby you can give the album that decimal point okay i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it an 8.95 <laughs> um and i maybe that's from my gymnastics days um you know the, the elite system is not out of 10 but when i computed the out of 10. Yeah, the gym I'm, I'm familiar with uh, ever, you ever know. since I've begun following Bobby on Twitter, I just know a ton more about gymnastics now, and I have to oh say I God. don't hate it. It is a very interesting world. But anyways, you wow. give the miseducation to Lauren Hill an 8.95 out of 10? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I'm conflicted. I could go, I could go, so for, in my mind, like, anything like above like a nine three is just like okay like i don't know i mean i think you know what okay i'm gonna i'm gonna redo this i'm gonna go 9.25 i'm gonna raise it slightly explain well i feel like i'm like a tough critic i wouldn't give anything much much over that because i don't think um i don't think any album is perfect and i also don't think I mean, art and music is so subjective that I don't think it's meant to be. And I think one of the things that's like so great about this album is that I feel like you kind of really get to know Lauren Hill as a person. And that's something that's 
very contradicted by the lack of her presence just in on social media and just in in the general public today um and so i think like she's very honest with with everyone and because of that you know there are things about the album that maybe are not necessarily perfect per se and some songs that i'm like eh. and that's but that's judging like that also 9.25 is my rating but i understand that it like objectively it's it's a very good piece of art i mean it's very good um just in terms of like the fact that i there's certain songs that i love way more on this track than others um i think that's entirely fair i feel comfortable giving it a flat eight out of ten because to me to me it is essential listening if you have not heard this record start to finish go do that i highly recommend it uh, there, you know, there are songs on this album that that maybe like Superstar don't entirely hit with me, but the the peaks of this album, your duops and your lost ones, that sort of deal, and X Factor, like oh my god, like the this is what pop music should be. It, it is setting setting such a high bar for what this style of music can be. So Bobby, I ask you the question, and I hope you put yourself in the position of where you were in maybe March or April, listening to the title track. The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Who needs to hear this album and why? Ooh, like, what do you mean by who? Whatever whatever your mind jumps to. <sighs> like a group of people that need to hear this? I think that's fine. Look, it I... seems like you maybe want to name names and be like, you specifically oh. <laughs> need to listen to no, Miseducation. No. I, I wish that, like, I... I wish people, you know, this is, this is going to sound, this is super far-fetched, but I almost wish this was like sort of treated a little bit more as like a really good work of writing. Cause I think the writing in this is really good. Um, and it's almost, some of it almost like makes me a little bit jealous. I'm like, damn, like she's a good writer. Um, and just as someone that like, I pay attention to words a lot, I guess that's like sort of, I guess what I do. Um, like I, I almost wish that people valued, like, uh, yeah, how good the writing in this is. Um, and I wish it was just something that people, that's such a nerdy answer. Um, but I wish it was something that, like, our generation listened to and knew about. Um, so if I had to say anyone should listen to this, I think it's people, I think it's, like, people in their 20s, anyone in their 20s. Because um, I think it it hits on a lot of things of, like, not really knowing your place in the world or sort of finding your voice and um, being able to critique things and sort of uh, be comfortable like where you fit in the world. Um, And I think that's a lot of things that she sort of grapples with and not necessarily comes to terms with, but uh, yeah, I think a lot of the themes, I think the world would be a better place if a lot of 20-somethings listened to Lauren Hill. <laughs> I can say that confidently. I wholeheartedly agree, Bobby. I couldn't have said it better myself. We are now <laughs> at the point where please let people know where they can find you. What are you doing? What organization would you like to uh, give maybe some focus to this week? Please let the people know. Yes. Okay. So the organization, um, it's called – it's like a – grassroots organization called Critical Resistance. Um, And it's like a very like sort of volunteer based sort of very just on the ground 
organization that works to abolish policing, imprison, imprisonment, and surveillance. Um, and they have chapters across the country, and they have a chapter in Portland, and I am very disturbed by what's going on there. I don't know if you've been following. It's very bizarre. I, I don't know if you've not... uh, cracked open a newspaper recently. <laughs> I don't know if you've just, like, there. looked at, you know. The world. Uh, <laughs> just, I don't know if you've opened a computer recently and have seen what's yeah. going on. <laughs> I don't know if you stepped out of your, you know. Um, but, um, so they have a, they have a, uh, chapter in Portland, and they have one in New York, and one in California. They they have a couple of them, um, and I I really like what they're doing because I feel like they're taking like a very holistic approach to things, and and they realize that this is a complicated issue um, and something that has a lot of factors to it, and something that's not going to be solved overnight, um, but uh, something that needs everyone's continued attention and support. So, yeah. Well, thank you for pointing me in that direction. Uh, I would like to shout out something that hopefully by the time you're listening to this will no longer be relevant, but given that it is now in the hands of the federal government, who knows, but SaveOurStages.com and the National Independent uh, Venue Association, they need your help because when or if we ever get this pandemic under control and when live music returns, those artists are going to need independent venues to showcase their work. And right now, you know, there hasn't been shows since March. So these venues are in dire need of funding and, and you can fill out on their website, a very simple and easy way to contact your representatives to help them save our stages. So Bobby, once again, thank you for pointing me in the direction of that cause. Where can the people find you if you want them to find you on social media? I'm okay with people finding me. Um, I am on Twitter at, uh, not underscore Bobby under, uh, not underscore B-O-B-B-I. My name is actually spelled B-O-B-B-I-E. I used to just get really frustrated with people dropping the E off my name, so I made all my social social media handles not Bobby with an I. Um, just my passive aggressiveness, <laughs> you know, pointing well, a finger at the world. Bobby, that uh, rules. Yeah. <laughs> that rules. Thank you for sharing oh, that with me. Uh, BobbyArmstrong.com. That's where my Bobby writing Armstrong. is. BobbyArmstrong.com, where her writing is. If you would like to see Bobby and I at a Zoom comedy show, Comedy Studies Spring 2020 Showcase.com. It is the longest URL I've ever seen. I'm still blown away by it every single time I say it. As always, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at underscore K-Slow, C-A-S-E-L-W-E. The podcast itself can be found on Instagram at Article Albums. This has been The Miseducation of Lauren Hill.